Welcome to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, where I speak to public figures that we think we know and invite them to let us in on what really makes them tick. This show is about identity, heritage, and the way that different cultures overlap and intersect. And so far, we've heard from a mix of fascinating, thoughtful, well-known names who have shared unique and personal insights into their lives. Each episode, I ask my guests to tell me how they define the idea of home. I'll do this by asking them about four key elements. Those elements are a person, a place, a phrase, and a plate. Now, for me, one of these would be the phrase, don't go empty-handed. And that comes from my mum, possibly giving us all a slightly neurotic attitude to kind of bringing things for people that we're visiting, whether that's like a pack of biscuits, a bottle of wine, or just kind of arriving at someone's house if they're welcoming you in as a guest with some sort of offering. And I always think of my mum's little voice in my head uh, when I'm off to visit someone. But I am here every week and you get to hear from me all the time. So let's concentrate on my special guest for today's episode. When my sister and I started cooking for Take That, we were cooking for them during rehearsals and they said, could we talk about going on tour? And I just said to my sister, I like to be in bed early. I don't know if it's our Filipino blood, but we're not big drinkers. We can't handle our alcohol. I like to know what's in my fridge. Today's guest describes herself as a real food activist and a sustainability champion. She started out as a private chef before her first hugely successful cookbook brought her to the nation's attention via her own Channel 4 show with sister Jasmine, Eating Well with Hemsley and Hemsley. She's now a best-selling cookbook author five times over and counting with books like Eat Green, Eat Happy and her latest Feel Good. Melissa Hemsley, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Jimmy. You got through it. You've done so much. Oh, oh <laughs> did you see me close my eyes when you talked about the Channel 4 show? Oh, oh my really? God. Oh, well, wow. I started, I started as a private chef, and one of my um, first clients is Gary Barlow. Just going to get in there straight away yeah, with my get name that drop. drop straight in there. The day it came out, obviously, I was like, I'm, nev- I'm not going to watch this show. Gary texted me and went, What the? What the hell is this music? He's like, You should have asked me to sort the music out for your TV show. Oh, no. Um, but no, I do like that show because one of the main reasons is I've got five god kids and they're all in the kids episode the little sweeties so it's a nice Um, little time capsule it is although I used to watch Gogglebox all the time around when that show came out and my boyfriend said to me once I wonder if your show might end up on Gogglebox I said why would it why would it and then one day my phone blew up and it was everyone going, you're on Gogglebox and they're all taking the pee out of you. Someone call social services, you're feeding the children pee ice cream. And then I could never watch Gogglebox after that. It was ruined for me. This is the double-edged sword of both kind of, oh, well, we're on Gogglebox. Oh, God, yeah. we're on Gogglebox. But anyway, we, we will get into all that. We will cover pee yes. ice cream. Yes. We will cover the TV show. We'll get into food. But I always like to start the show with the show title and I kind of present it back to the guest and I just right off the top what does it mean to you that phrase that question of where's home really 
I'm probably going to cry because oh, I'm feeling wow. quite emotional today. Yeah. And as I was saying to you, I'm pregnant and I'm just feeling yeah, all the kind of feels. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I'm feeling all the feels of family and just listening to you talk about your mum. I feel like, and I was just away and I was having a really lovely couple of days away. And I and I just said to my boyfriend, so lovely, but I just miss my dog. I just oh. want to be with, around my dog. So I would say wherever's <laughs> home is wherever my dog is, which oh, is I normally on the sofa yeah. or on the bed. She just oscillates between bed and sofa. She's nine and a half now. I've lived in the UK in army bases because my dad was in the army. Yes. And then I've yeah lived in Germany a couple of times, but in army bases too. So I guess I didn't experience the real Germany. I'm not sure I'm free-spirited or not enough of a control freak to take a leap and try out living other places, but I think I'd like to. Mm. I think I'd like to experience different homes around the world. Yeah, that that's interesting to me because you mentioned that you got your start as a private chef and I looked at that and, you know, you were working with actors and bands like Take That and I thought, oh, wow, that must be like a streak of like adventurousness and I wondered if that was linked to moving around a lot like as an army kid or army brat as they call it oh. in that slightly insulting way in the yeah. US. <laughs> oh, gosh, very interesting question. Um, well, interestingly, when my sister and I started cooking for Take That, we were cooking for them during rehearsals and they said, could we talk about going on tour? And I just said to my sister, I like to be in bed early. I'm just oh, not. Right. I don't know if it's our Filipino blood, but we're not big drinkers. <laughs> we can't handle our alcohol. I like to know what's in my fridge and yeah. if I can. I like to be where I can cook. And that's the other thing. I love going away on holiday and eating out, but there comes like, gets to day four and I go, I just like to be at home cooking now or going to the market and buying or going yeah. to like, supermarkets abroad are always way more exciting than supermarkets at home, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, So um, I remember saying no to my sister, Jasmine, let's not try and be tour chefs because being a tour, I mean, being a <laughs> chef is one skill. Being a chef in a restaurant is another skill. Being a tour chef, <laughs> not knowing where you're going to be every day, where you're going to get your produce from cooking at 7 p.m. and then at 11 p.m. when they come off stage you know yeah. that is just a whole level of yeah. stress I, I don't do so <laughs> I didn't do that part and hats off to all of the private chefs that tour the world with their bands and their yeah. superstars and on film sets I mean I couldn't do that no the the sort of homebody instinct kind of took over yeah. there um, and, and I want to kick off with the elements and why don't we start with your place which one have you gone for because as you mentioned there your mum was Filipina and yeah. uh, so you're half Filipino half uh, English British yes, but you grew it, up yeah. in, in different parts of the world you were kind of spent a lot of your childhood in Surrey is that right kind of Surbiton kind of way yeah. so which I thought was the countryside and, <laughs> and parts of Surrey are but really it's just suburbia it's <laughs> yeah. just greater London listen nothing wrong with suburbia I've come no. to really sort of be proud of my suburban roots but um, well, I used to but... tell people I lived in the countryside and then they went oh that's not countryside <laughs> first thing I thought about where I feel really at home is have you come across the lovely Imad of Imad's Syrian Kitchen? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I was thinking, I'm pretty sure I've seen you write about him yeah. and, and enjoy yeah. his food before. Now, he has his permanent restaurant now on Carnaby Street, yeah. which is incredible. Um, he yeah. had five restaurants and juice bars in Damascus, where he's yes. from. And I've known him probably for about eight years. And I would say, in a way, when I think about where I feel most happy or where I maybe want to celebrate or commiserate or gather friends yeah. or go for a meal by myself would be wherever he's cooking. And I've been fed by him in pop-ups 
I remember one day he was at Spitterfield Market serving about, it felt like 20,000 falafels. Yeah, he was selling falafel in, in Calais, in the jungle, the kind of place where people that were trying to make their way to the UK were at that point. He's probably fed me 20 times, let's say. Yeah. And it, I almost can't, don't think about where we are. It's just that he makes you feel like you're in his front room. Yes. Or you're yeah. in his kitchen. And that's that's what I like about restaurants. I'm not, I'm not, I don't like fancy. I don't like whispery. Oh my God, whispery <laughs> places or um, clinky Hush places. Hush yeah. yeah, I I really, you know, when you go to France, ev everywhere's dog friendly, yeah, as an example, yeah, yeah. right? But in the UK, you, you can't bring your dog to many places, um, not many places at all. And I would love to be able to take my dog to places and I would love to be able to take my shoes off in places. <laughs> And I would like, I would like to go in, and I would like someone to just say, "This is what you're eating," which is what Imad does. And then, and also, here's some extra for you to snack on for a midnight feast or for breakfast tomorrow. That's my kind of restaurant, and that's what Imad's like. <laughs> this just sounds to me like you're recreating a, a front room or like a home, basically. And I, you know, yeah. look, it's a business model that I can get behind. Yeah. You know, throw it maybe like a sort of blanket as well, sofa. Like you yeah. know, it's just kind well, of. I was like... going to say blanket, and then I thought. No, now I'm really being silly. But yeah, a nice blanket, nap yeah. between courses. Is that how you remember kind of gravitating towards food and the kitchen and your upbringing? What was kind of, what was home like when you were growing up and on these kind of army base houses? The nice thing about the army base is, you know, we lived on an army base in Kingston. So that mm. was probably age zero to six. And then one army base in uh, Germany and then another... Uh, like around eight and then back to the army base in Kingston and people are just coming and going you've got people from all over the world did it feel like a bit of a bubble it did a little bit it did because you're not necessarily around you're not going to school with German kids necessarily mm. you're going to school with other army kids right, and people right. come and go yeah um but of course I did after school activities and I'm in the community and my mum's um a big church goer yeah. Um, she's Catholic. So, you know, we would always meet other people. And my mom's from the Philippines. So I guess having spoken to her now, I said to her, what was it like being a young Filipino woman yeah. uh, marrying a, a, a British officer and then moving to Berlin and being in an army base? You know, how did people treat you? Did people, were people kind? Were they welcoming? Did they expect, you know, did they show you the ropes? And she said that by and large, yeah, she was she was really welcomed and uh, her mother-in-law sort of showed her how to cook British. Oh, God, I've, I've, I'm going to take a picture of this amazing book and send it to you. Yeah. And it's from my dad and grandma, who I never met, called Rosemary. Oh, wow. And they, it was like a book of, it's such a funny book, it's like a book of recipes that my mum could get to know as a sort of <laughs> British officer's wife. <laughs> and when I was growing up, I had no idea what if something was German, if we were eating something Filipino, if right. we were eating something English. Was it just the mix? Was it just It was kind the of, mix. Yeah, yeah. Wow, incredible. What kind of and things actually, are we talking? Well, my I remember I can't speak much Tagalog, but mm. I know the word which is the official national language of the Philippines, but there's lots of dialects because there's seven thousand islands. And so my mum can speak Papangan, Tagalog, and and other some other dialects too. Yeah. And there's a word called baon, B-A-O-N, and it means like snacks or lunchbox. And I just thought it was an English word. So I would say to people, what's in your baton? And they'd be like, what? And I was like, oh, can I have some of your monster munch from your baton? Pickled onion monster munch, my um, absolute kryptonite. Um, and that. so I didn't know that. But I, uh, sadly, I can't say much else in Tagalog. I can yeah. swear. I Excellent. can say I'm really hungry and... <laughs> 
and I know the word cute because you know Filipinos will say you're you're cute. You know, um, <laughs> I don't know. It almost feels like it could be like a sort of personality test. Like you know, you can say cute, you can swear, yeah. you can say you can, yeah, you're hungry. That's all you need. You're yeah. good. That's all and, you need. And of course, thank you and please. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm going to have a baby. You know, this summer and. It's amazing how, and I've been trying to conceive for a while, so I've been, mm. you know, thinking about these things and what what I want to teach my child or yeah. what, have, have I learned anything valuable or what what things did I not enjoy about yeah. childhood or, yeah. or what parts of me are not great that I'm not a fan of that I would like my child not to inherit or to, what baggage. Yeah. And I have really found myself texting my mum a lot and saying, I'm really annoyed you didn't teach me more Tagalog. I'm really annoyed you didn't take me to the Philippines more. And yeah. um, please, can you make sure that you speak to my child in Tagalog? I'm half Filipino. Will my child look Filipino? Will my child feel Filipino? Yeah. Will it have a connection? And my mum's sort of the last connection. So that's all been really interesting. And so it was lovely when you got in touch and said, can I come on? Because I thought, these are the things I've been thinking about, my identity, so, yeah, it's quite interesting. I love that note about you just thinking barn was just like a word that everyone, <laughs> everyone <laughs> yeah. that kind of just implies like how it was all mixed up in quite a kind of pure way for you. Like it was yeah. kind of like, oh, these are just, this is just what you call it. Were there any other instances where you were aware of that difference? I remember being a little kid and crying one day because I wanted to be blonde and little and I was brown Mm. but not just that I was so tall I really was tall from an early age so I think it was the the combined and you know I remember thinking none of the boys are going to fancy me (laughs) because they're going to fancy all my little blonde friends (laughs) I remember my sister who's six years older saying to me you're going to love being different when you're older Mm. Oh, oh my lovely. God, but you know, that's sweet. Mm. But at the time you're like, what is older? Like, I just want it to be nice now. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I remember is, I remember someone saying, your mum's got a weird voice. And mm. I had never heard my mum's accent before. I had never noticed it. And I remember not saying anything to her and feeling quite like burning, like shameful, of which I, of course, didn't need to feel. But yeah. I remember then it coming up later and then my mum would say you know what when someone's got an accent it means they speak at least one more language than you (laughs) go on your mum that's really true yeah yeah yeah. and then another thing I remember is our house would always smell different yes yeah with my mum having people around was always such a stress such a stress such a stress (laughs) and so we we weren't natural hosts so if someone said come to mine I'd always go to theirs and then and my parents were quite strict as well and then I remember someone coming round and I was like, it's about time we, you know, returned the favour. And I remember them sort of like walking in and just, they're kids, right? They don't get it. Like sort of sniffing the air and being like, you know, their nose wrinkling a bit. Yes. And I realised it's because my mum cooked with so much onion, garlic, ginger and fish. And there's a there's a fermented fish paste, a bit like shrimp paste in Thailand, called bagaung. Baga Even the name of it, bagaung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's yeah, like yeah. intense. Welcome back to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, and my guest, Melissa Hemsley. Hello. We're talking about food and why don't we get straight onto your plate then? It's an agonising question, isn't it, to try and pin it down to one plate. But 
What have you gone for? What is the dish uh, that makes you think of home? So for play, surprisingly not not Filipino based. Mm. I've gone for, I, I sort of bent the rules a bit. I basically said a combination of tomato and cheese. <laughs> so these are the things that came out of me. A bowl of spag bowl and parmesan, a bowl of tomato soup and a grilled cheddar cheese toasty. Yes. Really olive oily tomato Greek style braised butter beans with feta, a tomato salad and fried halloumi. Basically anything tomato based. <laughs> With cheese, <laughs> so I've gone. I've I've cheated a bit, but no, yeah, I love give me that. anything tomato I and love cheesy, that. and and we we don't mind a bit of rule bending when okay. it comes to to these elements. What is it about that combination and that set of dishes? I'm getting you know almost like sucker and comfort. Sometimes my boyfriend will say, "What do you fancy?" and I'll say, "I'll be like kids." To, like a kid's meal, like a kid's tomato, <laughs> yeah, something yeah, a bit yeah. sweet. Yeah. I don't I don't want a fancy like tomato and basil yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah, and uh, yeah. garlic. I want like kids. Yeah, and yeah. it's just going to be interesting having children. Am I just going to go wild and basically <laughs> eat kids' food? Um, but yeah, that comfortingness. Also, I think that I didn't hugely have that much... I guess, kids' food, if I'm going to keep going with this thing, when I was younger, because my mum would give us, yeah, she would give us smoked mackerel or, or sardines on toast yeah. for breakfast because she wanted us to be doctors. And she was like, let's get your brains well fed. You know, <laughs> oily fish, walnuts. Yeah. How can I, how can I get them? How can I get one of my two daughters to be a doctor? <laughs> Sorry, fail there. <laughs> I noticed that we are talking about a very important person in your life. So it feels like, a really opportune moment to hit that element, which is the person for you. I feel like we've already started talking could you, about could you, them. Could you guess? Yeah. I put, it's got to be my mum, Big Vange. Mm. She's called Evangelina. <laughs> Big Vange. Um, Big Vange. Evangelina. Evan Evangelina really is pronounced. But I've said the person has got to be my mum and all the Filipina Titas, which means auntie, oh, yes, that yeah. I grew up with, because some of them are not my auntie, uh, real aunties, because they're in the Philippines. <laughs> oh yes, so I said some by blood, that. some not. Yes, <laughs> so everyone's an auntie. Them alongside your mum, they are the people yeah. that, for all sorts of reasons, um, clearly have had such an effect. Yeah, 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 have shaped you. They've definitely shaped me, and you know, you've got Sunday prayers, of course. Yeah. But then, what my mum would do, and my titas would do Friday night prayers and often it was at our home and then the doorbell would start going and you know when you get to the awkward stage you're like I don't want to answer the door and make small chat with the aunties because you're just a bit selfish and you want to watch neighbours home and away heartbreak high like you want to watch your <laughs> schedule so the doorbell would go they'd come and pinch my cheeks they'd love to tell you how much weight you'd put, put on and if you got offended you were at fault because in the in the Filipino culture Apparently, it was a compliment because it meant you were wealthy enough to afford to eat. So that was, that's that's for another podcast. But I found that quite tricky going through puberty and being told like, oh, you're, like, you're, you're fatter than last week. Great. Thank you, Tita. Please come in. Then they would all, you know, and they'd, they'd be like piles of foil covered food or mm. um, and that would be from an auntie that had already pre-prepared her food oh, or there'd wow. be ones rushing in with the ingredients because they hadn't started so everyone would be telling each other off getting in the way in the kitchen so some cooking some half cooking someone telling someone off for taking up <laughs> too much space they'd be speaking 
Taglish to Galog oh, English. Wow, wow. So you'd like pick up a few words and then you know when they're talking about you because they all look at you. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. then switch into the language that you don't know. <laughs> so they'd be cooking and what was beautiful was so they'd be cooking the rice cooker would go on sometimes mm. several times sometimes other rice cookers would arrive because wow. there'd be so much rice being made yeah. and then they would leave the kitchen go into another room which sometimes would be the room that you wanted to watch TV mm. so you get chucked out yeah. and then they would pray uh, they'd pray it's called pray the rosary and they would sing and it was really quite beautiful and yeah. again looking back now I like think some of the women you know Filipino women that my mum would literally pick up at church or in the supermarket, she'd go up to anyone and be like, are you Filipino? Anyone right, yeah, because I was going to say, like, you know, where did this kind of community come yeah. from? Because I was thinking, did she feel isolated? But clearly she went out and found people that were of the same culture and that yeah. she could sort of bring into the fold and sort of found this family, like, in diaspora, basically. I think if I were to ask her, she would always turn it back and go, it's my duty, you know, the word duty. It's my duty, it's my responsibility, it's my job. It's my Christian, it's my Filipino like blood uh, within me too to scoop up and welcome because maybe some of these women are over here to be nurses, to be nannies, to um, work as cleaners and have come over, left their kids behind, left their partners behind and they're over here to wanting to work really hard to send all their money back. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they're not spending money on themselves or don't have much money to begin with and my mum would just welcome them and then of course there was always the core of one of them was my real blood auntie one of them was my godmother one of them I grew up with my whole life and yeah. it's still around my mum's house oh, now amazing. but people would come and go and so they would pray together it would be beautiful the singing and I remember there'd be like one hymn and I knew when that hymn came it was like five minutes to eating. So I'd be like, come on. And then sometimes they'd make me, my mum would be like, come and, you know, you have to come and be part of prayers today. Yeah. But often I'd get out of it with like, I'm doing my homework, mum. Don't you want me to get good A-levels to go to medical school? And then we'd all go into the kitchen. And then the bit you really want to hear is we would just feast and feast yeah, and feast. Amazing. And everybody would cook 10 times the amount you needed mm. so that everybody could then leave on Friday night with food from everybody so that you could eat all weekend. So that was really nice. So it was like leftovers on purpose. Yeah. So you'd eat really well Friday and then you'd take food home and everyone would be bickering, but like in a really generous way, like, oh no, 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 I've taken too much. No, 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 take more, take more. And then being like, oh my God, she took so much. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. We need to get a phrase from you as yes. well. You've got a lot of options, like more than more than most, it seems. Like, you know, whether it is something from Tagalog. What was your kind of intuitive, instant response to that question? It it will be probably on my mum's headstone. Oh, sorry, that's really dark, isn't it? It'll probably be on my headstone. But her phrase is every grain of rice. Wow. Which basically is is about not wasting and also honouring mm every single grain of, of food, what the sun and the water did to grow the rice, yeah. to the farmers, to how it got to you. And it was it was drilled into me in a way of, you know, say I'm a kid and I'm sat there and it's something I don't want to eat. Maybe it was like the 10th fish meal that week <laughs> with the rice. And I'm, you know, I'm sort of trying to eat it, but there's, you know, a little bit left. It would be, you know, how how can you leave that? And she would often say your Filipino cousins, you know, would kill for, for, for that. And so part of me would be like, 
oh God, the mealtime is not fun and it's not enjoyable and I'm forcing it. But I get it now. And I am, I actually, if I'm ever, if I'm ever cooking and someone fills their plate and then doesn't finish it, I'm like, whether I've cooked it or not, I'll be, I'll literally look at the plate and I'll be like, hmm, shall I have some? What can the dog eat? What can (laughs) I turn into a soup tomorrow? Yeah. You know, I, I I look at the plate like that. So that's, I think, and I think that's a positive thing. I think that we did fall as a society into a place where we just thought the food would keep coming forever. And I will always take food left over from a, from a restaurant. Nuno Mendes was cooking uh, years ago at a press Portuguese dinner. chef of Lisboeta yeah. and other restaurants. And fantastic. And obviously incredible at his grilled meats and his veggies. And we had a press dinner and the food was just coming out comically overfed you know like (laughs) it was impressive you know it was we were there to try it support it review it so on and then at the end of the meal people couldn't eat anymore and it was just there and I knew it was going to go and I was like oh I'm around some real foodies am I going to be that person because people sometimes people be like oh what is she doing and I went I'm not seeing this food go to waste. So I gathered it up. I actually ended up giving some away at the tube station because I found someone that that was 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 hungry. Yeah. And then I took the rest home. And Amazing. I remember the next morning, sorry, Nuno, but I fried up some of the meat, I cracked an egg in, and it was even better <laughs> the next day. <laughs> We've not really spoken too much about your amazing cookbooks and the work that you do, but it seems really interesting just looking from the outside that your food philosophy and your approach has evolved like so much from when you first emerged um, alongside your sister and at the time of the Channel 4 shows. I remember I was working like, you know, in-house at like the Evening Standard at that time. And I remember, you know, you were bracketed with Deliciously Ella and things like that. And there was this kind of clean eating movement that became its own sort of whirlwind, didn't it? And it seems yeah. like maybe you, you've you been on this conscious path just in terms of, of just cooking and approaching food in a different way. How do you kind of reflect on that? Well, it's an interesting one, wasn't it? Because at the time, it was a big movement of mm. male and female figures. And interestingly, those that actually branded themselves the clean eaters, you know, in their books, clean and lean and get lean, yeah. they didn't get any backlash. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, you spotted yeah, that. Yeah, that's a really good and, point. Yeah. And the chefs that had calorie-controlled diet books and said, buy my book and you'll lose weight, didn't get put into that movement, but the female uh, food figures were blanketed. And we actually never used that term. And I remember our publishers at one point, I remember being in a paper, not your not your paper, but one paper yeah. one week <laughs> with our um, sharing meat and dairy and fish recipes and, and cakes. It was like a big spread. They yeah. were like, you know, they were promoting us and celebrating mm. us and saying lovely things. And then the next week, there was an article saying how, because we were vegan clean eaters, we were contributing to a crisis. And I remember my publisher saying, well, we're just going to send them the article they wrote last week just to show (laughs) that they just contradicted themselves. And that was tricky because in general, the advice being given to us, and we're talking 12 years ago, was just don't say anything. Right. Just keep doing what you're doing. Right. Interesting. Now, as an older woman, and looking back, I probably would have just answered back and called people up and also use my own platforms to actually call out the hypocrisy, mm. the contradictions from one week to the next in the same paper. Yeah. Having said that, 
I also learned a valuable lesson, which is be really clear in your communications. Mm, yeah. And how much words have power. So if you do an interview for three hours or you write a book for three years mm. and someone extracts one line or one recipe, you want to be as clear as possible because yeah. they're not going to refer to the other page where you've gone and talked about something else. Yeah, they might yeah, yeah. they might hone in. So I do try and keep it. If you go onto my Instagram profile or or my books now, I try and keep it, I guess, more welcoming. I, I, I try and really press home the fact that I try and create recipes that everyone can enjoy. Yeah. And that means from your meaty, your omnivores to your plant-based, yeah. to your young, to your old, to your confident, not confident, those who've got a little bit more budget to play with, those that are really watching their budgets. Mm. I'm trying to cook in the space for everyone. Yeah. Um, so yes, there were some valuable lessons learned. One is that I would speak up more. Mm. The other that I would be careful, more careful in the words I used. And also, uh, and it's so funny, and, I, and I'm sad that we've never met, but also what's interesting is so many people that may have written things then yeah. have even very swiftly after that all happened and even now will whisper to me almost as a sort of sturdy secret how much they love my recipes or cook them <laughs> and i'm always like am i some someone's dirty secret <laughs> what's so great to see now and it's kind of evident in your current book you know you've got mum's filipino chicken in there you've got you know, you're you're talking about mood boosting and recipes thinking about life you're talking about stocking freezers in in the building on those kind of philosophies that that that, that network of aunties uh, gave you as you were growing up and oh so it God, just feels great, yeah. like there's a the real, army of aunties the army of aunties yeah <laughs> it feels like you've kind of from the outside that you're in this place where it is you kind of being all the different versions of yourself and kind of in, yeah. in, in, on your own terms. And I guess that is what comes with confidence. Mm. And I also see, looking back now, how maybe quite irritating my sister and I were because <laughs> we were publishing cookbooks with amazing publishing houses, yeah. you know, who publish Ottolenghi, Mary Berry, Rick Stein, yeah. Jamie Oliver. Yeah. And we hadn't done the legwork of working our asses through the ranks of, of the chef world. Yeah, yeah. Because back then, you know, it was a long time before I called myself a chef because I was told I couldn't because I wasn't trained. But actually a chef is a professional cook. And I am a professional cook. I That's my business. But for a long time, it was like, who do they... Th it was very much, who do they think they are? They've got cookbook deals. They're writing recipes. They're... You, you know, and I, and I see now how incredibly um, protective, and I, and I understand it. Some people are about the food space and the restaurant space. I and I also now I see you know the TikTok food stars, and I see them getting a hard time, and I'm like, come on, everyone! Like, who who decided that only a few people were allowed to share recipes? Why do you have to deserve to write a cookbook? If someone wants to buy your cookbook, make a cookbook. Also, having said that what I've learned is how incredibly triggering talking about food can be and how emotional, going right back to what you said at the beginning and yeah. what your podcast is about, the relationships we have from childhood, even in the womb, yeah. till the day we die around food. You know, you think about people's last supper requests. I think about what my dad would ask for when he had, you know, barely any taste buds left functioning, but he wanted the smell of coffee and Food is so emotional. And if you inadvertently trigger someone or upset someone, it's, it is complicated. 
Can you think of the impact that Filipino culture has had on Britain itself at large, like kind of a positive impact, whether through food or culture or people? Like I think the Philippines is a strange one in that maybe it's a it's a misunderstood nation in some ways and people don't necessarily know it as well as they should is particularly in terms of cuisine yeah i think that the filipino sour tangy flavors has really impacted the way i like to eat like i'm mm. not a big sugary person mm. i love i prefer dark chocolate and cheese and as a pudding yeah but i love sour i love my limes and lemons and filipino food is so interesting not least because the philippines is named after king philip of spain who was a colonizer 400 years ago so you've got lots of incredible mixes you've got mm. spanish flavors so you've got tomatoes bay leaves um and garlic mm. and then you've got the chinese and indian influence of people that came to live there so uh pancit noodles we call them party noodles in our house <laughs> a sort of based off a you know a chinese chow mein noodle yeah, dish yeah. like loads of yeah. veggies and so on and it's not particularly spicy so i think that filipino food's really family friendly as well I'd love to spend more, I need to spend more time in the Philippines and get to know the cooking more. From my vantage point as somebody that writes about food, I'm seeing more and more Filipino cuisine permeating and you're absolutely yes. right, that sweetness, that sourness, that punch, but also it's like amazing diversity as a cuisine is something that I'm seeing more of and hopefully there'll be even more of to come, sort of really infiltrating yeah. British palettes and kitchens. Um, Melissa, this has been so great. Thank you so, so much it, for Jimmy. your time. I'm so excited for you about to become a mum. I know, and I can't believe it. Yeah, you know, just uh, get the oily fish going and uh, <laughs> finally maybe your mum <laughs> will have a doctor. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mum. Thank you, Jimmy. Bye. I absolutely loved chatting to Melissa. She had so much to say and gave so much in terms of like really unpacking her upbringing, her mum's role, how Filipino culture and heritage has kind of really shaped the person she is. And it really felt to me like I had a completely new look at her really like I just don't think I realized that the significance of her mum and that side of her culture and her attitude to food has really kind of like formed the person that she is yeah it was really really great to speak to her so that's all for this particular episode of where's home really with me Jimmy Famarewa join me again next time for some more insightful stories from people from all over the globe to find out where, for them, is really home. If you're enjoying this Where's Home Really podcast, please do give us a follow on your favourite podcast platform. You've heard it before, but it really does make a difference. And of course, we'd love to hear what you think, so leave us a comment or a review. From Podomo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really, hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd, the executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White, and for Listen is Kelly Redman.